Well, our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, and we'll be looking at verses 31 through 56. It's a long, long passage. Um, you can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1,544. Matthew 26, verses 31 through 56. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go, here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. <clears throat> Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But, not, but, how then, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. 
Thus ends our reading of God's holy word. May all who hear it heed the words of their submissive Savior. The other day I was in the Taco Bell drive-thru and I struck up a conversation with a young man who has taken my order. And in that conversation, I, I felt a prompting to invite this man to church. I had one of our invite cards right next to me, and it would have been so easy for me to just hand it to him. And yet, for some reason, in the back of my mind, I had this irrational fear that, that I might look like a fool. And so instead of giving him that card, I chickened out. I lacked the strength that was necessary to submit to God's will. We are now in the heart of this passion narrative that describes our, our Lord's suffering. And as we've seen from the past two weeks, the, the things that we will encounter in this last section of Matthew's Gospel are the things that are necessary for God's redemptive plan. If you recall, two weeks ago, the first thing we saw was, was that it was necessary that it be God's will and not man's, that he brings about man's salvation. That's why he, he orchestrated certain events in order that his son would be crucified during the Passover. And then last week, we, we witnessed Jesus and his disciples eating with one another at the Passover meal, that that Last Supper of our Lord, where he established a new covenant in his blood, a covenant that is not dependent on our own abilities to keep the law, but on the ability of one man, the God-man. You see, Christ must keep the law for us and become that better sacrifice who sprinkles us with his blood, this blood of the new covenant. And now today we will look at a third necessity, a third essential co component of God's salvific work. We will see the necessity of a submissive Savior. And what we'll discover as we, we look at our text is that, is that Jesus was not some helpless victim, you know, that suffered from fateful events that, he, that was out of his control. Rather, he was a voluntary sacrifice, submitting both to the will of his Father and, yes, to the will of wicked men. Let's, let's look at our passage and see how this plays out. Look at, look at verses 31 and 32. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. It was during the Passover meal, the, that last supper, when, when Jesus had warned his disciples that, that one of them would betray him. And if you recall, that, that, one, that one man was none other than Judas Iscariot. All the other disciples, they, 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 if you recall, they said to Jesus, 
Surely not I, Lord. And even Judas said, Surely not I, Rabbi. But it was Judas who, who ended up being the betrayer. But now, now here in, in our passage, we're, we're on, in a different setting. We're on the Mount of Olives, and, and Judas is no longer with them. The traitor has left, and the faithful remained. And yet, Christ was now telling these men that not just one of them, but that all of them would fall away on account of him. And not only that, but that this falling away would happen swiftly. It would happen that very night. I can only imagine the shock that, that these words would have brought to these men. All of them? Really? I mean, what could occur that could drive such a wedge between these faithful, faithful men and their master? And they were faithful. Remember, early on, they had left everything behind when they were called. They were dedicated to their Lord. They left homes. They left careers. They left families to follow Jesus. And yet now Jesus is telling them, you will all fall away on account of me. Of course, it was Peter who was adamant that he would never be disloyal to his king. Look at, look at verse 33. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Peter was pretty certain about himself, was he not? He believed that he would be loyal to the end. I mean, this is Peter, right? This is who he is. He's the rock. But look at how Jesus responds to him. Look at verse 34. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered. This very night, before the rooster crows... You will disown me three times. Jesus is now getting specific on, on exactly how Peter will do this. Yes, Peter, you will betray me. And sooner than you expect, let me spell it out for you. Yet Peter was unconvinced. And, and so were the rest. Look, look at the next verse. Look at verse 35. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. You see, each man thought that they would be brave. They, they thought that they were these courageous warriors who would stand with their king. And even if they were outnumbered and it would cost them their own lives, they would not back down. They were convinced that they were strong enough. How often do we trust in our own strength? How often do we rely on our own abilities instead of seeking God's power when it comes to matters of his kingdom? How often do we believe that, that through sheer determination we can bring about what we believe to be God's plan? That instead of relying on His strength, 
his power. We rely on our own. Each and every one of these disciples believed that they were strong enough. And this is what sets the stage for what's about to take place. Let's continue our story. Look at, look at verses 36 through 38. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. An overwhelmed soul. A sorrow that brings a man near to the point of death. This was the state of our Lord. But what could trouble our king so greatly? This man who, who had been in control throughout his whole life. Not given to worry or, or despair even in some of the most trying circumstances. How is he now overwhelmed? Overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of, of death. How could this be? Let's read a little further in order to better understand. Look at, look at our next verse. Look at verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Here we find Jesus praying to his father. But not just any prayer, but a, but a fervent prayer of submission. I mean, think about what we just read. The text says that he fell with his face to the ground. So Jesus, he was just lying there flat with his face in the dirt. This is, this is the posture of a man who is in ruin. One who is in utter turmoil. And what is his prayer? My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. We hear tales of the Christian martyrs of old. Some who were fed to lions. Others who were lit on fire. Still others who were beheaded. And then there were many who, who like our Lord, who, who were nailed to their own cross. These, these men and these women, they went to their deaths singing hymns and praising their Father in heaven. They, they didn't ask for God to rescue them, but, but only for Him to give them the strength that they needed during their, their, their time of suffering. And, and it's not that they, they didn't feel the anguish or didn't feel the pain as if God was, was somehow protecting them from, from that reality. No. But, but they knew that they were dying for something greater than themselves. And that God was right there with them, carrying them through their ordeals. 
But in this instance, we see something very different. Jesus was lying in anguish with his face in the dirt. He wasn't singing any hymns or praising his father. Instead, he was asking, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, why do you think this is? Did Jesus lack the courage that seemed to be abundant in these other men and women? Of course not. So what's the difference? The difference is the cup that he was about to drink. What was in this cup that could cause our Lord to be overwhelmed and sorrowful to the point of death? What could possibly be inside that would make him fall to the ground with his face in the dirt? What was this drink that, that, that he has been given that he would ask his father, If it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. What was in the cup? Now, there are a number of scriptures that describe this cup in the Old Testament. We see it in Isaiah. We see it in Ezekiel. We, we see it in Zechariah. We see it in the Psalms. In fact, the Psalms give us a glimpse of whom this cup was meant for. Look at, look at Psalm 75, verse 8. And the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He, he pours it out on all the wicked of the earth. Drink it down to its very dregs. And then there is a prophet, Jeremiah, who is probably the most explicit when it comes to this cup. Look at, look at Jeremiah 25, verses 15 and 16. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. They will drink it. They will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. This cup is, is none other than the cup of God's wrath. And it was meant for the wicked of this earth. It is, a, it is a bitterness that comes from the Lord's righteous anger. An anger that he pours out on those he despises. On those he has forsaken. That is the cup that was given to our Lord. This is what Christ faced. The wrath of the Holy God poured out on him. Listen, physical pain can be endured. Willful men, they can, they can laugh in the face of suffering. Those who are zealous, they, they, they strap bombs to their chests and, and they push the button. Yet none of these people ever felt the overwhelming grief and anguish that comes upon a man who is totally forsaken by God. 
And that's the difference. To be disconnected from any semblance of God's goodness, of God's kindness, it will utterly ruin a man. And this is what Christ was facing. A punishment worse than death. A judgment that is more than any man can bear. The ridicule and the scorn he could take. The pain he could endure. Yet it was this spiritual anguish of being cursed by God that drove our Lord to pray in this manner. And yet, what did Jesus say at the end of his prayer? Yet not as I will, but as you will. In these words, we find a submissive Savior. One who is not about his own will, but about the will of his Father. He will take that cup and he will drink it down to its final dregs. Even though that, that means that he must be forsaken and suffer the wrath of God. That he must take on the weight of the sins of this world and, and suffer in our place. And then look what happens next. Look, look at verses 40 and 41. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Don't forget how Jesus had warned these men earlier. This very night, you will all fall away on account of me. And instead of heeding Christ's words and, and urgently seeking God, urgently seeking His strength, they instead sleep. Remember the confidence that they had earlier, the, the, the brave words that they spoke. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. These men were relying on their own might. And it showed by their lack of prayer. Let me ask you, how many of you have ever had those moments where you had the opportunity to speak about Christ and yet you lacked the courage? Where you could have shared Jesus, shared the gospel, but, but you let that moment just slip by because you were too afraid, too fearful. You were like me in that Taco Bell drive through Sometimes I wonder if the reason those things happen is, is because we neglect to go to God in order to find His strength. That, that we fail to, to seek Him in prayer and ask for the courage that, that, that we will need in order to carry out His mission. And so when the moment arrives we find it difficult to submit to His will. While Jesus prayed, His disciples slept. 
Yet in the kindness of our Lord, he, he rebukes these men softly. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And how true that is. We are weak vessels. And we can only be strengthened through the power of God. Well, two more times Jesus would pray to his father this same prayer. And two more times he would submit himself to his father's will. But through the whole ordeal, his disciples, they merely slept. They did not seek the strength that they would need before that fateful hour. The hour when their master would be betrayed into the hands of men. Look at verses 45 and 46. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. The hour had arrived and the time for seeking God's help was now gone. Those sleepers who, had, who could have gained strength through prayer had lost their opportunity. And yet Jesus, this one who was previously in deep anguish and sorrow to the point of death, he now stood strong. He stood poised and confident, ready to meet his betrayer head on. Look at verse 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a, a signal with him. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. A couple things to notice here. First, the, the men that these religious leaders sent, they were an armed mob. These weren't Roman soldiers, but they were Jews who had brought their own clubs and their own swords. They thought that, that violence might be necessary, and so they wanted to intimidate. And if the situation called for it, they wanted to be prepared for a, for a battle. Second, these men needed a, a signal in order to know which man was Jesus. Did they not know? Was Jesus not famous? Sure, he was famous. But unlike today, when we have photographs, we have videos allowing us to know our celebrities' faces very well, back then, even those renowned people they were not easily recognized. And the, and the fact, add in the fact that it was dark, and this signal was crucial for them to capture the right man. They, they wouldn't want one of Jesus' own disciples to try to fool them by taking the fall in Jesus' stead. And so it was vitally important that, that Judas be there to confront the one he had betrayed. And thus, with a kiss, he gave up his master. 
Well, look how Jesus responds. Jesus replied, friend, do what you came for. This word friend in the Greek is hetaire, and we have seen this word before. We've talked about this word before. And it's probably better translated as imposter or supposed friend. It is a word that is used in, in irony. You see, Jesus had no time for, for silly games. He, he called a spade a spade. And, and so his rebuke upon Judas was both sharp and swift. Friend, do what you came for. And this is exactly what happened. Look, look at the rest of verse 50. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. They were quick about it. They grabbed him right away. Now for these disciples, they had thought that the moment had finally arrived. That now was the time when their mettle would be tested. Their Lord was being arrested, and either they could cower in fear, or they could man up and do something about it. Let's see what they did. Look, look at the next verse. Look at verse 51. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Now we know from John's gospel that this companion who drew his sword was none other than Peter. And this is exactly what Peter had in mind when he said to his Lord that he would never fall away. That he would never disown his king. He would draw his sword and charge into battle, even if it meant his death. See, I, I told you, Jesus, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Little did Peter know that his moment of testing had not yet come. Look how Jesus responds to Peter's actions. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. All who draw the sword will die by the sword. Dear friends, the, the, the kingdom of God does not come about through the use of force. That's not how Christ's kingdom works. Rather, it comes about through the power of God. A God who changes the violent hearts of men into hearts that submit to the Prince of Peace. Jesus would not use violence to advance his kingdom. And this is shown to be true by what he says next. Do you not think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Now a legion is comprised of 6,000 soldiers. Think about that. Jesus could have called upon twelve legions. One for him 
and one for each of his remaining 11 disciples. This is the type of authority that that Christ has. If he had wanted to, he could have wiped out completely this small band of thugs that had come to arrest him. And he could have done it in an instant. But he chose not to. Because that was his father's will. Because the scriptures must be fulfilled. John 10 verses 17 and 18 say this. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Listen, Jesus is not some powerless man who has no say on whether he lives or dies. No, he has ultimate authority. But he chooses freely to submit himself into the hands of sinners. It's his choice. Look what he says next. Look at, look at verses 55 and 56. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. You see, these religious leaders had so many opportunities to arrest Jesus, but they didn't. And the reason they didn't was because they were spineless. They needed the secrecy of Gethsemane and and the cover of night to do what they did. These were not brave men. Rather, they were cowardly and wicked. And yet, as as we discover from this passage, there was really no need for them to brandish their weapons. For Jesus would not fight back. Rather, he would go with them peacefully. He would choose to go with them in order that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Christ submitted himself to his Father's will. And in so doing, he also submitted himself to the will of wicked, wicked men. He laid down his life of his own accord. And yet it was this submission that would be a challenge to his disciples. You see, this, this is a moment when the real test began. How would these disciples respond, not to a band of armed men, but to a submissive Savior who would not fight back? Would they stand by his side as he conceded to the will of his enemies? Would they go with him, even though that could mean that they themselves would would suffer the same fate? Or would they fall away, just as Jesus had said? Look at the end of our passage. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. 
These men were not ready for what their Lord did. And thus each and every one of them fell away on account of him. Sure, they, they, they would have been brave enough to battle by his side. But when it came to submitting themselves, not only to the will of men, but to the will of their Father in heaven, they lacked the courage. And that is why they too needed a submissive Savior. Just as it is written, Jesus, this man of suffering, must now face this battle alone. He must drink the cup of God's wrath without anyone by his side. And that's the way it had to be. You see, in order for God's redemptive plan to be accomplished, we needed one who would submit to the will of his Father. One who would drink that cup in our stead. We should have been the ones who had the wrath of God poured out on, upon us. We should have been the ones who had been forsaken by the only one who is truly good. We should have been the ones who had been given this cup. But Christ did it for us. Dear friends, we are just like these disciples. We think we are strong when we're not. We think that we can handle anything that comes our ways, comes our way through the, through the sheer force of our will. And yet when it comes to submitting to God's will, we all fall away. We are all incapable in our own strength. And that is why it was necessary for Christ to be our submissive Savior. One who, who yielded his will to his fathers in order to drink the cup that we could not. Yes, we needed a submissive Savior. And thanks be to God that Christ did not sleep, but that he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, not as I will, but as you will. Let's bow our heads. Father, we are so grateful for your Son that he was willing to drink the cup of your wrath in order that we wouldn't have to. That he was forsaken by you as he bled and died, paying the penalty for our sins. Yes, we are grateful for our submissive Savior. We are nothing without him. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen.